Well, good morning, church. <clears throat> I'm honored to be here today, to be with all you wonderful folks. Honored to be trusted with God's word by the family of God here at this church. If you are new here, I'm Dave Jones. I'm not the normal pastor, so I guess that makes me the abnormal one. <clears throat> I want to tell you first-time visitors that our pastor is on sabbatical. Him and his family are taking a much-needed break. Um, in case you're watching Pastor Sam and family, we miss you terribly. We hope for the very best for your vacation. I'm just glad here today, <clears throat> just glad to be here today. Uh, folks that are here, I want to tell you that um, each one of you is needed. Each one of you is appreciated. Each one of you is part of something bigger than yourselves. You're part of the body of Christ. <clears throat> Today, I'm going to begin by reminding you just a little bit of what's been going on since Pastor Sam left. Um, about four weeks ago, maybe five now, Brother Sean Roop taught us about the Gadarene demoniac and how Jesus, by his great power, healed him and cast the demons out of him, changing him forever into a true worshiper of God. Then we got to hear Jake Tallman teach us about the grace and forgiveness of our Lord and his amazing love for people, all people, even those who've made mistakes. And by the way, that was on page 1453. <laughs> And then two weeks ago, our brother Gus told us about entering in through what? The narrow gate. That's right. And how to keep our focus on God and to dedicate our lives to pleasing God because that leads us to life in Christ. Then we heard Olaf last week talk about the blessings of God from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, and how fortunate we are to have those blessings in our life. Now I get to share today about abiding in Christ from John chapter 15. Let's pray together, church. Father God, I just ask you to help me to bring the word to your church in a way that will refresh and encourage them as the words of Jesus must have encouraged and refreshed his disciples in that upper room that night so many years ago. Lord, I ask that you speak through me because I'm nervous and I need you desperately. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> Well, today we have kind of a special guest speaker to introduce this chapter. I wish I could have him here personally, but he's been dead for about 100 years. His name is Charles Haddon Spurgeon, and he introduced John chapter 15. You can turn there if you'd want. As follows. This is from October 6th, 1867. Charles Spurgeon said it this way. These, then, are the words of Christ. Unto you that believe... He is precious, and every word that he speaks is precious for his sake. You will be sure then to give every syllable its weight and to let each word fall upon your soul as coming directly from his lips. These are the words of our Lord Jesus just before his departure from this world. We reckon the words of dying men to be worth storing, and especially of such a matchless man as our Lord and Master. It may be said of him, Thou hast kept the best wine until now. For in this chapter and in that which follows, we have some of the choicest, deepest, and richest words 
that the master ever uttered. You will endeavor then to hear him speaking as upon the verge of Gethsemane. You will listen to these sentences that's coming to you associated with the groans and bloody sweat of his agony. These are the words, moreover, about us. Us, and therefore, to be received by us with profound attention. The most of us who are here are in Christ, some way or another. The majority of us profess to be Christians. The text, then, is directed right at us. When Jesus speaks about anything, it is weighty and demands our ear. But when he speaks about ourselves to ourselves, we must give him the heart as well as our ears and give the most earnest heed to the things which he speaks to us, lest by any means we let them slip by. We may have to regret one day that we did not listen to his voice in love, for we may have to hear it when we must listen to it, but the tones, when the tones have become those of judgment, and Jesus the judge says unto us, I know you not. Even though we shall venture to plead that we ate and drank in his very presence, and that he taught in our streets, Having then your solemn attention, we will read the text. Jesus is speaking, John 15, 1 through 11. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and they throw them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask, what you desire, and it shall be done for you. And by this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so that you will be my disciples. Abide in me, and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. As the Father loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. Thank you, Father God, for your word, for it is rich and powerful. Thank you, Lord. Let it sink deep into our hearts and our lives. And Lord, help me to do a good job with it this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. <clears throat> okay, so, so here's the scene. Jesus is talking with his disciples in the upper room. It's Thursday night of Passion Week. They're having dinner. Maybe it's just finished up. And they're taking that last little bite of crusty bread, maybe taking a, a little sip from whatever they had to drink that night there in the upper room. And he tells them this, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. In those days, the vine was used as a frequent picture of Israel. In the Old Testament days, Israel was often referred to as the vine or the vineyard, God's vineyard. In Psalm 80, verse 8, it says, You have brought a vine out of Egypt. This was referring to Israel and bringing them out of their captivity there. In Isaiah 5, verse 7, 
it says, For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel. So we know a little bit about what he's talking about. In fact, at this time on one of the walls of the, the great temple in Jerusalem, there was a large ornate golden grapevine that represented Israel as a symbol of God's growing vine. And it was also recognized as a symbol of the Messiah himself. The strong vine that brings life to the branches. Now that I've got you thinking about the vine, think for a moment about this. You might be able to see it if you try. A big bunch of healthy grapes, red globes of delicious sweetness, mm, hanging down from that vine, ready to be plucked off the vine. You reach up and you pluck them off the vine. Man, they look good, don't they? And they are good. They're good for eating. But I want you to realize that those grapes are no longer growing once you separate them from the vine. They're no longer living, but dead. Their dependence on that vine has ended the moment you plucked them from it. They depended on that vine for their life, didn't they? Their sustenance is now gone. This is what Jesus was trying to impart to his disciples. <clears throat> this dependence on the fruit to the vine. That he wasn't just an addition to the life of his disciples, but that he was the very source of their lives. With him, they had life plus. They had life forever. Because with Jesus, everything is better. No longer were they just wild grapes looking for a tree to climb or a piece of dirt to sink their roots into. They were now grafted in to the life-giving, living vine of God himself. So that would mean as followers of Christ that on the day that we accepted him, we wouldn't think of Christ as a mere addition to our lives, but as the very source from which we draw everything that we need every day from then on. It's kind of like a car, buying a brand new car, taking it home and taking out the gas tank. Because it's little. We're attached to the super tanker. God himself will never need that gas. What a great value. What a great worth. Could you imagine what a super tanker full of gas is worth nowadays in today's prices? God has so much more value than that. Jesus calls his disciples to remain in him, to abide in him. Our true strength, health, and well-being come from this vertical connection or abiding in and with Christ, the true vine. It's a direct correla correlation of the relationship that exists between him and his disciples, using the analogy of a vine and its branches. In John 15, we are shown what defines the nature of Christian discipleship. In this scripture, Jesus himself tells us what God wants from us, what God does for us, and what God actually expects from us. First, Christ tells us, what God wants from us. In a word, he wants fruit. <clears throat> he wants to be us to be dedicated to following him and to be fruitful with our lives as we do follow him every day. It says in verse 2 that, there, that every branch in me that doesn't bear fruit, he takes away. Now, in reading this and, and reading through several different versions, this can have two meanings. Now, some say it means just that, to cut off. These would be the ones that didn't abide with him. 
Other versions make a case that it can be translated lifts up. Now, those of us who have worked or lived in the Central Valley know as you drive by a vineyard that the grapes are staked up off the ground, and there's usually a wire strung along the vines so that they can grow along it instead of on the ground. Now, in Jesus' day, I think that they may have used trees or wooden posts to raise the vines up off the ground so that they could grow and get sunlight and produce fruit. So I see God, the vine dresser, as he's described here, raising up those vines that are prone to wander along the ground and giving them a place to grow into the sun. In thinking about it, the vines still have to contend with gravity, and they start to hang down, drooping earthward as they get bigger. And you know, it might be a little painful to that vine as it's lifted and stretched upward. Maybe it's used to being in that place. Maybe it's grown comfortable hanging there. Maybe it's used to being in shade. Maybe it's even started to like living there on a shady side of things that has grown accustomed to life in the shadows. But the vine dresser, God, wants it to get up into the light so it can produce fruit and not remain in the shadows. So he, God, drawing a direct correlation from this, lifts us up, just like that vine hanging there in the shadows. It hurts sometimes when the Lord brings correction. When we are wandering like that vine, towards the broad way that leads away from God that Gus told us about a couple weeks back. It can hurt when he lifts us up away from that dark place that sometimes we find so much comfort in. Up towards the sun. Because of his love for us, we can grow and produce the fruit that lasts. Then in the second part of the verse, he says this, every branch that that bears fruit, he prunes. I recently read a book about viticulture, and it said this about pruning. Left to itself, a vine will produce a good deal of unproductive growth. For maximum fruitfulness, extensive pruning is essential. Oh, huh. Extensive pruning sounds great when it's a grapevine. But when it's my life, it doesn't sound all that enjoyable but it does make us grow better and produce more fruit for him. And look at what it says in verse 3. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. We're reminded that the vine dresser has already made us clean with his words. He's already given us everything that we need to live a good life. We are grafted into the living vine of life through his word so that we can bear more fruit for him in this life. In chapter 14 of John, verse 28, Jesus told him this, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Going on in verse 4, Jesus says this, verse 4 of John 15, Abide in me, and I in you, as a branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you Abide in me. When Jesus said, Abide in me, he's talking about remaining in connection and relationship with him. He says that the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. And it's impossible for the branch to bear grapes if it's not connected to the vine. Just like plucking these off the vine, they're no longer alive. 
It's equally impossible for the disciple of Christ to do good for God and his kingdom if they aren't constantly connected to and abiding in Jesus. He reiterates in verse 5 that he is the vine, that they are the branches. He was emphasizing their need for this close connection to him and their need of that closeness to bear fruit, that their purpose as branches was to bear fruit. Their whole purpose in life. He even tells them straight up that without him that they can do nothing. Nothing of real eternal value for God's kingdom. Now I just want to go off script a little bit and tell you that we can do things when we're not attached to the vine. And a lot of us do. But those aren't good things. Those aren't fruitful things for Christ. We're not helpless, you know. He gives us a free will. And I will tell you that when we step out of God's will and step away from the vine that gives us life, we create havoc in our lives. And I've done so. I know from personal experience that when I stepped away from God, my life turned out to be a mess. <clears throat> Stay close to the vine. Stay attached. Fruit is mentioned six times in the text and a total of eight times in the chapter. In the eighth verse, Jesus says, My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and become or prove yourselves to be my disciples. And yes, these scriptures tell us God wants to bear fruit, lots of fruit. Now, what kind of fruit are we called to bear? Grapes? Melons? I don't think so. We're called to bear the fruit of Christian character. And from that Christian character comes Christian conduct. And if we have good character and good Christian conduct, then ultimately we're going to produce the fruit of Christian converts. First, God wants us to bear the fruit of Christian character. In the English Standard Version translation of Galatians 5.22 and 23, it describes the fruit produced in us by the Spirit Christ has given us. If the fruit of Christian, it, it is the fruit of Christian character. Galatians 5, 22 and 23 says this, The fruit of the Spirit in our lives is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are the qualities of a Christian and show Christ-like character. We're called to bear that fruit of Christian character. And we're also called to bear the fruit of Christian conduct. In the New Living Translation, Colossians 1 verse 10 says this, Then the way you live will always honor and please the Lord, and your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. All the while you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. Doesn't that sound like something we want to do? You see, Christian character produces Christian conduct. And if we have the Spirit of Christ living in us, and we're attached to that mind so tightly that there's no way that we can possibly let go, then he'll produce that Christian conduct through us. In addition to Christian character and Christian conduct, we should bear the fruit of Christian converts. People should desire fruit or desire Christ rather by the fruit of Christian faith and the life and character and conduct that they see in us as we live out our faith in Christ in front of them. See, on several occasions in the New Testament, Christian converts are described as fruit. 
For example, in Romans 16.5, Epineatus is referred to as the first convert to Christ in Asia. In several translations, it actually says that he's the first fruit in Asia. Funny how they use that terminology for a new Christian. That's fruit for God. <clears throat> so you see, according to Jesus, God wants us to bear fruit. And the fruit he wants is character, conduct, and Christian converts. Jesus not only tells us what God wants from us, he also describes what God does for us. If you look around, you'll see a lot of what God's done for us in this room. Lives changed. Better lives through Christ. We're all so blessed. He does four things to help us produce a harvest for him. First, he grafts us into the vine. Second, he feeds us. Third, he lifts us up. And then he prunes us. First, God grafts us in. He grafts us into the true vine. The dictionary defines grafted as insert, as it was common to graft different varieties of fruit onto a single tree trunk. From one vine comes much fruit. Many different varieties I'm looking out at right now. God grafted each one of us into that same root. If you look around <clears throat> today, I see a lot of fruit. Thank God. The second part of the dictionary definition says graft in is living tissue. Isn't that amazing? They can actually graft in so many things. I'm living proof of it. I have a, a new ACL ligament that was grafted in from a donor. That guy donated his organs and tissues so that other people could live. I could preach a sermon on that, but that's not what this is about. But I love the fact that God had something grafted into me before I preached this. <clears throat> this is out of an article that I read in the laid-back gardener. It says that once a tree has been grafted, the fruit it produces will be identical to that of the original tree. That means that the fruit that we should produce is what exactly comes from the vine. Those fruits of the Spirit, the fruit that I've been telling you about. You see, none of us are connected to Christ by birth or by nature. So we must be grafted into the vine of Christ through faith in Christ if we are to produce what God wants, and that's fruit. Paul makes this point using a similar analogy, the analogy of an olive tree. In Romans 11, Paul describes how some of God's chosen people were rejected by him and broken off like, like worthless branches from an old olive tree because of their rejection of Jesus. On the other hand, the Gentiles, who were never counted amongst God's people, were grafted into the tree of life because of their faith. This is how Paul puts it. If some of the branches were broken off and you, a wild olive shoot, were grafted in their place to share the rich root of the olive tree, do not boast over the branches. They were broken off because of their unbelief, but you stand here only through faith. It's us, folks. So since we are born into sin, we must be grafted in to the vine of Christ through our faith in Christ as our Lord and Savior if we're to produce that fruit that lasts. So God grafts us in. He grafts us into the true vine and makes us his own. 
We are now a part of that true vine. Actually going, growing by what the root, God himself, provides for us. <clears throat> this grafting comes through faith in Christ and is lived out as we walk in fellowship with him. Next, God feeds us. Through Christ, God pumps spiritual life and vitality into us. In John 15, 5, Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit, because apart from me you can do nothing. You see, the vine draws nourishment from the root and pushes that nourishment into all the branches so that they can bear fruit. If we weren't grafted into the true vine of Jesus, we couldn't get that nourishing, life-giving power that he gives us. This means that the spiritual life really isn't our work, and the fruit that we bear isn't ours either. It's from the root, the root of Jesse, Jesus himself, as paraphrasing from Isaiah 11:2. It's God's work through us. It's Jesus in us. And through Christ, God pumps that spiritual life into us to bear fruit. He feeds us with all we need so long as we abide or stay attached to that life-giving root. Some of you have experience with cutting things off from the root in here. Some of you even cut down a few hundred trees in here. Some of you, and I may, they may not be here today, but I'm speaking generally. There's usually a few professional loggers in the room and some amateur loggers in here too. Some of you, especially around December, go out and cut down a perfectly good living tree. And then you stick that sucker in a pan of water and you dress it up and you put lights on it and shiny decorations and adorable little goodies. And they look beautiful. But I can tell you that no matter how pretty that tree looks for the month of December, it's still D-E-D -E dead. <laughs> Why? Because we ended its relationship with the root, where it got its life-giving power. Its sustenance and its actual life were cut off. Now then, can, how can we then, who are grafted into the true and living vine, Jesus himself, not grow in him. I'll leave that there. In Acts 17, 28, Paul says this, in him, Jesus he was talking about, we live and move and have our being. <clears throat> Next, God lifts us. He lifts us up when we're drooping so that we can bear fruit for his glory. In John 15, 1 and 2, Jesus says, I am the true vine, my father is the vine grower or the vine dresser. He removes every branch of me that bears no fruit. Like I told you, some versions say lifts up. <clears throat> My Father lifts up every branch in me that bears no fruit. So why does he lift them up? He lifts them up to help them grow more fruit. Now, I don't have a lot of experience with vine grapes and grapevines, but my mom and I raised a lot of tomatoes when I was a young man. And I remember tying those tomato vines up to, off the ground in her garden with her as a little boy. We staked them up off the ground, and I asked my mom, why do we do that? She said, we do that to keep their blossoms from rotting off in the mud, which would certainly make them fruitless. She said, we also do that to keep their fruit from spoiling on the ground. Now, it strikes me that this is just the way the Father is with us. He isn't 
quick to condemn the fruitless branch. Rather, he's patient with us and does everything he can to help us and lift us up so that we can bear fruit. In Luke 13, 6 through 9, this is where the owner says to the keeper of the field, this tree is not producing fruit. Cut it down. But the keeper says, let me dig around it and fertilize it. He gives that barren tree a chance to produce fruit. He gives us a chance, doesn't he? So, back to what God does for us. He grafts us. He grafts us into the vine of Christ. He feeds us. Pumps that spiritual life into us through the living God and the living vine. Then he lifts us. He lifts us when we're drooping and heavy laden so that we can bear fruit for him. He lifts us closer to the sun. Then, here it comes. He prunes us. That made me swallow. <clears throat> but it's so that we can bear fruit for his glory. He says, every branch that bears fruit, the vine grower prunes to make it better and to make it bear more fruit. And again, I'll use the analogy of the tomatoes and my mom. She'd go through those plants row by row, and I'd watch her plucking these little tiny blossoms off the bottom of the vines. And I asked her, why are you doing that? She said, because they're called suckers. They're little tiny blooms. If left alone, they might even produce a little tiny tomato. But my mom knew that they sucked sap from the main vine and that they would ultimately take away from the main tomatoes and that they would grow better without them. <clears throat> they'd produce more and larger tomatoes than they other would, otherwise would have done if they'd been left there. Now, there's a lot of suckers in the average Christian's life. Things that may actually look pretty and in and of themselves, like those little blossoms, seem harmless. But they ultimately drain the spiritual life and vitality from our Christian lives. I'm going to get personal, folks. Sometimes it's our work. Sometimes it's our leisure. Our jobs and our, hobby, our hobbies often crowd Christ to the backgrounds of our life. They consume so much of our energy that we often have little time left for church, for prayer, for Bible study, for Christian service or Christian witness. We're often overworked. Many of us work long hours, lots of overtime. And then we come home and have to take care of our homes and our families. Then we try to find time to use the things that we've worked so hard for. The toys, whatever. And then even to deal with our families. Take kids to sports or to the lake or take our wives out to dinner. Life is a busy, bustling thing full of all the little suckers of our time and energy. And then we wonder why we don't bear much fruit. We wonder why our character and our conduct aren't what they ought to be, and why no one is drawn to Christ through our crazy, busy lives. Well, we have to be pruned. We have to cut away some of those lesser things, those suckers of our time and treasure, so that eternal things can increase, so that we can produce fruit. When we ask for God's help, he comes in and he trims our life of those snares and those little suckers that so easily tangle us up so that we can spend more time on the things that really matter, eternal things that bear lasting fruit for God and for his kingdom. 
So far, church, we've seen what God wants from us and what God does for us. Now let's look at what God expects of us. What, God, what does God expect from us? It says in his word that he expects us to abide in Christ and grow. Remember what Jesus said in John 15, 4 through 5, Abide in me as I abide in you. Just as a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit, because apart from me, you can do nothing. So how do we go about bearing? Abiding in Christ is the secret to bearing fruit for Christ. As we abide in Christ, we receive God's help. We're fed, lifted, and pruned so that we can produce fruit. That's the fruit of Christian character, Christian conduct, and Christian converts. So what does it mean to abide in Christ? It means that we must be connected to Christ as a branch is connected to a vine, and we must continue to cultivate that close connection each and every day. So how do we cultivate that close connection? We cultivate the connection through the Word of God, through personal prayer, and through Christian fellowship. We cultivate our connection with Christ through the Word of God. Notice in John 15, 7, Jesus says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask for whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. You see, there's a clear connection between abiding in Christ and abiding in his Word. Friends, as you fill your minds with the Word of Christ, words of Christ, then you'll begin to have the mind of Christ. And with the mind of Christ, you'll begin to think like Christ and act like Christ. In other words, you'll de develop that Christian character. My question today is this, church. Are you spending every, time, every day, at least part of it, in the Word of God? If you want to abide in Christ, you have to abide in His Word. And then you have to abide in prayer. Jesus says in verse 7, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish. That's that clear connection between praying to Christ, asking, abiding in him. In verse 8, he says, bearing much fruit for him. If you ask, it'll be done, and then you'll bear more fruit. In verse 9, he says, As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. Did you get that? Jesus told us right there that he loves us like the Father loves him and to stay or abide in that love. What cause for celebration. What an amazing thing. What love the Father has lavished upon us. The Son of God loves you, each and every one of you. Not as the world loves us, but with the love that the Father has for Jesus himself. An unmeasurable love with no beginning or end. Unchangeable and endless. He tells us how to stay in that love in verse 10. He says this, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. He also told him this in John 14, verse 15, when he told him that if you love me, you will keep my commandments. He's saying true discipleship comes from obedience to his commands and in honor to his word. And then he tells them this, that his joy will remain in us and your joy will be full and complete in him. Now that isn't just happiness derived by the pleasures of life or how good things are going for us at the time, but it's the exhilaration of being right with God 
and being the recipient of his holy forgiveness and divine love. What else could make you feel better than that? Doesn't it make sense that we want to bear fruit for the glory of God? So are you asking God to give you the fruit of Christian character, Christian conduct, and Christian converts? I hope so. Finally, if you want to abide in Christ, then you have to abide in Christian fellowship. Throughout this passage, Jesus addresses this his disciples as a group, as if he's speaking to you. Like he's been lovingly addressing this church all morning. You see, he was speaking to them collectively. And the passage that immediately follows our text is all about the disciples loving one another. In John 15, Jesus says this, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Jesus said he loves you again. How can we who are dearly loved by God's own Son, Jesus the living Christ, go on leading fruitless lives? You see, friends, we bear fruit when we are part of a loving community of fellow Christians who are studying together, praying together, loving one another, and encouraging each other to bear fruit that will last for God. If you're here this morning, then you got that fellowship in part down. That's good. But are you a part of a Bible study or a small group? Do you pray to God to help you to be fruitful? Is your life proclaiming the love God has shown to you, to the people around you? Are you doing all you can to reduce a hunger for Christ in others that you know and work with? If any of this strikes a nerve, I'm sorry. And I'd ask you to ask God for his help. Pray and ask. And then if you're not already in a small group, get plugged in. We just started a women's fellowship and Bible study on Wednesday mornings, or Wednesday evenings and Thursday evening, Thursday mornings. Men's, there's men's groups. There's a lot of stuff to get plugged into here. Or you can ask a fellow believer to meet regularly with you for prayer, Bible study, accountability, and encouragement. It's the secret to bearing fruit, folks. If you're part of the true vine, if you've been grafted into Christ by baptism and made his own by faith, <clears throat> you're already bearing fruit. And that's awesome. But if not, then the day after service, please come and pray with the prayer teams that will be up here along these walls. Feel free to ask the tough questions that may have given you doubt. Because today God wants to feed you, to lift you and prune you so that you can bear more fruit for his glory. And you can if you will abide in Christ through his word, through fellowship, and through prayer. If you're part of the true vine, fellow believers, will you renew your commitment today to abide in Christ, to let him come in to your life today to help you to bear more fruit? He is the true vine, the source from where our very life comes from as his bride, the church. Remember, abiding in him is the secret to bearing fruit. As we end today, let me leave you the same way we started with the loving words of Christ from verses 16 and 17. Jesus is speaking. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you should go and bear fruit 
and that your fruit should remain. That whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. That these things, these things I command you, that you love one another. Let's pray, church. Father, I ask you to go with us today as we go out to the whole world. That we will take your words of life with us. Lord, that we will abide with you. And you would abide with us. And that we will bear fruit, much fruit for your glory. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So if you'd stand with me, we're going to sing the doxology today. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. You are sent. Go abide.